Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where your host, Alison K. Summers, is searching the globe to introduce you to cutting-edge thinkers and entrepreneurs whose stories will inspire you to innovate your own business life. Having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, Alison is taking her own experiences to help today's CEOs and professionals meet the ever-changing demands of the future of work. Now, here's your host, Alison K. Summers. So nice of you to join us today for this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. As always, we are thrilled to bring you innovative leaders who are disrupting different segments of the business marketplace or who I think will inspire you as you are on your own founder's journey. So today, um, we are speaking with somebody who has been acknowledged as um, one of the seven under 40 women to watch for 2020 by Business Insider. She's a global citizen, just a fabulous, fabulous story of what her mission is in business. So without further ado, Rebecca Liebman, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And Rebecca, tell everybody what it is that is the company that you have um, co-founded and what your mission is in the world today. Yes, of course. So um, I'm Rebecca Liebman. I'm the co-founder and CEO of a financial well-being company called Learn Lux. And we pretty much digitize financial planning so that anyone of any income level or asset level can create a really high quality financial plan. And we distribute through employers. So companies buy the product for their employees so that they can have the same access to a financial plan that you would only be able to have if, if you had a, a lot of money. And do you think that these em employers are in interested, and I know I'm jumping to your business and I want to jump back, but just to frame for our listeners, um, it's for all, all ages and all levels of employees, correct? It's, it's, it is. makes it accessible for everybody. Exactly. Yes, it's very much built to be accessible by everyone and you know, we work with companies all around the country, all around the world that are in cities that are in, you know, the Midwest in manufacturing and tech companies and grocery stores. Um, it's really built to be accessible and configurable for, um, for anyone and customized for the, the end employee as well. Um, so everyone kind of has that personalized experience through a, through a tech product. And I think this concept of financial wellness is so important because we live in this overwhelmed society where as consumers, there's so many choices and young professionals are dealing with student loans. Um, and even I, I think of um, my own daughter when she graduated from college, she's like, great, I've got a college degree. I don't know how to buy a house. I don't know how to finance a car. I don't know how to do all of these, these things. So. Before we dig deeper into your, your company, I like to talk to my company founders about where they got inspiration and, and, and what led you to this point. And you are, um, not to kind of put you on the spot, but I did say, you know, you're under 40, but you are, it's a joy to speak to young entrepreneurs. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you got started on your business journey. Yeah, under 40 and under 30. Um, <laughs> So, and, and that's been a blessing and a curse, you know, but um, started in a very non-traditional way. I never really thought I would be in, in finance per se. Um, I, I had studied environmental science. I was incredibly passionate about, um, you know, global environmental studies and, you know, there's no boundaries with, with environmental issues. 
and I, I moved to Kenya when I was in college to do water research, which is really interesting for half of the year when there is water and half the year is a drought. Um, and so I, I started teaching in the school system and I, there was this really fascinating technology that was taking off when I was in Kenya called M-Pesa, which is mobile money. And I helped start a company around letting people in Kenya use M-Pesa and there was really fast adoption throughout the whole country to pay for everything because before that had been, you know, a cash economy. Anyway, really fascinating experience just seeing how you can create access to financial services out of necessity. There were so many models of finance that I saw thrive in Kenya that we've never even tried in the States. And uh, it just allowed me to comprehend so much more about the world and, and how people create things and things that we've never tried because in the US we think we do everything the right way. And um, I came back to the States after a couple of years and I started working at a lab at MIT and two funny things happened. You know, my lab was brilliant PhD students, but no one could figure out how to open a retirement account. And I was learning about all of these macro trends in finance and just became really fascinated by this idea that most of our world doesn't have a financial plan. And for, for a lot of reasons, but it's very inaccessible. The economics don't make sense if you're, if you're not a millionaire, no one wants to help you because they're not getting enough money from, from helping you. And so I just thought there has to be a better way. And I, how do you democratize access? Uh -huh. and, and the solution was really by digitizing a financial plan and kind of digitizing this methodology that we created, we could allow anyone of any income level have the same really high quality financial plan. And then we thought, but we want to help people who need it the most. And really for mass America, the pillars of your financial plan come from your paycheck, your retirement, your healthcare, your insurance. They're all connected to your employer. And so it was a really natural distribution um, for, for your employer to give you this as well. Well, and so you started this company with your brother, is that correct? That's correct. And, and how did you, you know, we talk a lot with entrepreneurs who, who co-found and have partners. And I don't know if there's different idiosyncrasies when you start a company with your brother, but, but tell us about how you divided and conquered those initial responsibilities of the business. Yeah, I think it's different. I'm sure it's different for everyone. And most people come up to me and say, I could never start a company with my sibling or a family member. You know, I, I think every relationship is very, very different. It's worked for us because we were so young. We really were able to give each other critical feedback and grow at such a rapid pace. I think with normal people, you don't really want to give them such honest feedback. You try and soften it a little bit. You know, that's kind of how you learn to give feedback. And when it's your sibling, you're kind of unforgiving. You're, you're, you're so you can be so honest, but then you're so forgiving after. Um, and so it just allowed us to really grow as people. So it works really well for us. Um, Michael had studied finance and computer science. So kind of naturally had, you know, built our first product now runs the engineering team makes beautiful Excel models. And I love people. So I spend all my time pretty much doing sales, marketing, traveling to meet with customers and investors. 
Um, and it just, it splits really nicely. We have very different interests and um, what we're good at is different. Well, um, tell us about when, when you started that initial concept phrase phase and you were in that, that, that proving and refining the concept, because I, I know I, I want to talk to you some about the, the money story about how you um, did your first funding and, and that type of thing. But tell us a little bit about that development phase. Um, and how you you knew that you you had something that the marketplace needed? Yeah, I think you know I think there's sometimes a misconception that one day you're not running a company and the next day you are. It's it doesn't really happen like that. It happens you know kind of slowly over time. Especially for us, we were in school and we started the company, so you know we had ideas and we were iterating and we were testing the market in different ways and um, you know we would build MVPs of products. Like it actually kind of started, you know, could we build a blog where people are interested in this topic? Could we make this a product that people would download or use or come back to? And so there were many iterations over time and then even much more granular, you know, how do people actually experience this plan? Um, and so it, it was a long time of just testing different ideas in market and seeing what resonated. I think what's specifically interesting about finance is most people hate finance. Um, and it's, I joke all the time, you know, people, when people say like, what are competitors? It's like, you're competing against someone just not caring at all. Either someone wants to make a financial decision or they don't want to think about it. And so um, a lot of what we looked at was like behavioral economics and how, why and how do people make financial decisions and how can you make it a more positive experience? Because these things are, you, you have to pay taxes, you have to get health insurance, like, but how do you do this in a really seamless, positive way? Um, so that's a lot of actually what we looked at and tested. And thanks for sharing that. So, so I have to ask the money question because again, different people who build their companies look at it at different ways of I need to build it and have my direction really solid and I want to have a good foothold in owning it before I go and seek outside investors. Um, tell us about, about your story, because I know that you have a story about a pitch competition and, and other pieces to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the pitch competition, I think people, people love to highlight and is a highlight, but um, you know, there's, there's I, the, the conversation around money is fascinating. I talk to a lot of founders who are just starting and you know, not everyone wants to raise money, not everyone should raise money. I think you really have to decide if you're gonna raise institutional venture capital. Like, do you wanna build a business that is, you know, on a high growth trajectory where you are, are really like racing against the clock in many ways, you know? Like you kind of have like the seven year time period to build a massive, massive business. Um, and not everyone wants to do that, so I think venture capital just it gets more glamorized than it really needs to be and people don't know what they're getting into. From, from the beginning, for us, when we decided to build this, we always knew that this was gonna be a venture scale business and we're in a market where money does touch everyone and we could reach millions and millions and millions of people and in order to do that, you know, you, you raise money. I think that's an interesting thing that people don't talk about enough. Um, you know, the other funny thing about starting a company with your sibling is don't, 
don't don't do it if none of your family can give your friends and family money, which uh, <laughs> which is our problem. Like, so we couldn't raise friends and family money, so we pretty much had to go right to like, okay, we're gonna raise from other people. Because if you, you get mom, I get dad. Is that? <laughs> I mean, and none of none of our families in tech, none of our family like, you know, ha, has is able to be an investor in a, in that capacity, um, and so we we really had to kind of build a network without knowing anyone and just being like in school and just literally show up to places and start meeting people. Um, and I think people get deterred, but it's just, it's a, it's a long game. You just need to meet people and like figure out what makes the most sense for you. Um, yeah. I assume, yeah, you want me to jump into the, the story that is exciting. Uh, you can go, you can go where you, where you wish. <laughs> um, so after, after all that, and we had raised, um, money from some cool people we had met over time uh about a little over a year ago or so we raised money in a pitch competition it was just supposed to be kind of a a 100k prize and it was held by ashton kutcher and his fund sound ventures and you know i think a couple hundred people applied they they got it down to about five people who actually showed up at this at south by southwest in texas and we pitched in front of a massive audience um, and we ended up winning that pitch competition and uh, they were really excited about the company. So instead of just what the prize was, they ended up quadrupling it and Mark Benioff came in and invested as well. And, um, and, and that was a really exciting time, I think, again, because of what I mentioned, like there was so much that went into it before. It's not just a millisecond that you see in, in press, it's everything that leads up to it and all the work you've done before. Um, and that just really allowed us to grow so much more, so much faster, um, and, and kick off a larger round. And, and that's, that's a really inspiring story. So I think what you said there interests me, though, is that there's a whole lot more that goes into that. So do you work with an incubator and accelerator, or um, where are you getting your mentoring and coaching from as you're building your business? Um, uh -huh. We've, when we were in school, we went through Mass Challenge in Boston. Um, but, you know, I think, I think this, uh, our outlook is to learn from everyone. We just try and talk to as many people as possible, get different worldviews. I think that also stems from living abroad and understanding that everyone grows up in this microcosm and you only, you see the world through your view. And if you just talk to all different types of people, you get such interesting feedback on other um, perspectives that people have that you may have never known because you didn't experience the world that way yourself. Um, and so that's kind of how we how we learn and and grow, and we're really kind of adamant about that. But I'm I'm very kind of passionate about the the idea that people need to realize that like startups aren't glamorous. I think people only see like the TechCrunch articles and they think that everything yeah. is perfect for everyone. And there's so much work behind the scenes that, uh, that people don't see. And I, I just think it's important for them to understand. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's a life of sacrifice. It, it absolutely is. And, um, you know, when it, when it comes to, to balance and, and the drive that you're doing and, you know, it's very clear that you're a people person and, and I am such a believer in connections and growing your influence uh, because it comes back to you, making introductions to other people. But um, 
that's a skill that's needed is, is particularly when you're in a, a B2B kind of market space, when you're selling to corporations and, and businesses. So can we talk a little bit about your sales vision and strategies that you're employing to, to take your business to market? Yeah, definitely. So like I mentioned at the beginning, we distribute our financial wellness product through employers and employers buy the products so that their employees can have access to a fiduciary unbiased financial plan and financial advisors. Um, and, and it's, it's on demand. It's something where you don't know when someone's going to have a problem. They might already be in a ton of stress. They might have a big, um, event that comes up and they really need help, or it might just be open enrollment and you are trying to pick the right health insurance or a retirement account for you. And the thing is these, these are, you know, massive financial decisions that impact you that impact your family and um a lot of employers understand that money is the biggest stress and people carry that with them wherever they go and most of their time is spent at their job so really we work with a lot of people teams hr um to distribute to their employers and you know we worked with companies that are 20 and 200 people and we worked with companies that are 30 and 50,000 people and because it's a tech product, it's highly, highly scalable. So it's pretty much a seamless rollout in any size. And, and that's really what we built for. Yeah, and I encourage our listeners, if you, if you have a chance, to go to learnlux.com and, and just take a look around and explore. Because what I appreciate, Rebecca, about the platform that you've built is, you know, the first thing you see when you go there is we help employees feel good about their families. I'm sorry, about their finances oh, and their families. But we help employees feel good about their finances. And we help employees with lessons, digital tools, and expert guidance. And the, the take just on your website, I believe, is refreshing and inviting and lighthearted and approachable. And I would think that lets people know this is about what's to come. And I, I know you talk about we, we give you this financial training in a, a like a no jargon environment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, I encourage people to just go take a look and explore. Um, you and I talked before we got on this podcast about particularly, you know, smaller business owners, you know, the statistics just like talking just about the United States of, I think there's something like 89% of the companies in the United States registered businesses have 20 or fewer employees. And I, as a business owner, might want to offer such a benefit or something, something appealing to my small team. And what I love about your product is I can give employees something fairly sophisticated as a benefit mm. at an accessible price point. And so um, anyway, but that's, that's how I am looking at your company from the outside, Rebecca. I, I don't know if there's anything else that you would want to uh, share about your company um, that you would want listeners to know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think finance scares so many people. And I, I think I started by saying, you know, I never thought I would necessarily be in this space because the industry is really, it, it's built to make you scared and make you make the wrong decision. And it's very mechanic. And we really wanted to change all of that and make finance human and have a really positive experience and, you know, take away the, kind of coldness of the industry and 
everything we do from, you know, the product being incredibly beautiful and a friendly experience and, uh, you know, a really nice user experience to just the way our own certified financial planners are trained in the language that they use. It's done very intentionally to change your relationship with money. And, you know, we don't sell products. We don't take on, you know, no advisor is pushing any type of product. It's very much just an independent way to make sure you're on the right track. And it takes away all the ugliness of the industry. And I think that's really amazing. And only a startup can really do that. You know, the incumbent banks, they have a natural um, bias towards their own products. And you really just need a new player to come in and be a third party and advocate for the, for the consumer and say, you can win here. You know, it doesn't always have to be the bank that wins. Um, and that, that's what excites me most about the industry and about building this product in general, just helping people feel, feel better about their finances. Okay, so Rebecca, we're going to switch and we're going to talk yeah. about, let's get to know you because you're quite a vibrant individual and you've had these uh, experiences and, and I, I just, I love as a person, I love when I meet people who are, you know, like, let's get more stamps in our passport, let's learn about new tech tools, let's, let's talk about new podcasts or, or books to read. If, if you were in, if we were at a networking event with a nice cocktail in our hand, what would be something that you would tell me is getting you really excited lately about a tech tool or a book or a podcast? Ooh, okay. So I, I read a lot and I listen to a lot of podcasts when I walk to work. Um, my favorite podcast right now is Revisionist History from Malcolm Gladwell. And I, you know, it just challenges a lot of the, the biases that you might have or ways that you think, you know, there's a, so that's one of my favorites. I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away, I guess. I, <laughs> I can tell you about the one I just listened to, but you can listen to it. Um, and I love, you know, and I love Malcolm Gladwell's work, writing. I read a lot of Adam Grant organizational behavior. Um, and I love Annie Duke. I think she's kind of undercover. I tell a lot of people I about I don't her. think I know Annie Duke. Yeah, I, I, I tell a lot of people about Annie Duke, and then they come back to me, and they're like, oh, I love her. Um, it just happened to me. So she was a professional poker player in her 20s. Now she, she has a book called Thinking and Bets, and she's about to release a new book about making decisions. And um, it's, it's really fascinating. It's kind of about, I'll, I'll sum it up for you. She says, in our brains, we think if we have a good outcome, it's because we made the right decision. But you can make a bad decision and have a good outcome and you can make a good decision and have a bad outcome. And you know, a lot of times we kick ourselves and we say, oh, we must have made the wrong decision because this is a bad outcome. It's, it doesn't work like that. Um, you know, so she gives a really good example of a football game. And now when I watch football, you know, and people yell at the coach and they say, well, he should have made a different decision. It's like, actually with all the data that you had, he made the right decision. It doesn't always mean it's going to lead to the best outcome. Um, so that's kind of an example of kind of the context of the book. Well, and I think that's interesting because when we talk a lot with, with people in business, no matter whether they're on a, a corporate path or an entrepreneur path, you know, we talk about fear and, and how you break down that fear. And it sounds like that's a kind of a, a logical insight way to take a look at it. So I'm going to check out Annie Duke. So thank you for that tip. 
Now I'm going to ask you, in this path and in this journey, most entrepreneurs will say, I wouldn't change anything. But still, there's some sort of kind of, I talk naked lesson, something that's like stripped down, ugh, I wish it had gone differently, or maybe I, I, I should have tried it a different way, which sounds bad asking that question after what we just said about it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it is hard. I feel like most people say that because you, you learn lessons the hard way, but then, but then you remember next time why you should do something. Um, and I do try to remember, you know, not everything has a really short feedback loop. Like you might make a decision that you think is negative right now, but in the long term has a really positive outcome. Um, you know, I think starting a company really young, uh, I almost wish I could have just like followed around a CEO and learned from them, but every CEO is so different. I, I think you realize that everything is just about people and that's a lesson that you have to learn kind of the hard way when you're young of just like humans are the most complicated thing in a company. And it's not just that, you know, you have a relationship to every person in the company. It's they have their own relationships between each other. And um, I think that's a really important thing that it, someone, someone can, can tell you, but you almost have to see because every, every experience kind of blends together in a different way. That's something I would talk about. And then just something I'm passionate about, you know, I think you, you mentioned um, gender earlier, but a lot of the lessons I learned, you know, I was 21 years old starting this company and I would walk into finance events where people were triple my age and have been in the industry for, for 40 years. And they look at me like, you know, who, who are you showing up to this? And I think it was really important for me to learn that because I thought differently, that's what would actually make us succeed where everyone in the industry tells you, you need to think a certain way. And that's also something you can kind of only learn the hard way of your, what you might think is your biggest, your biggest, biggest weakness, biggest weakness turn. Um, but I think it's still a fight we're fighting today where there's just not enough pattern recognition in, in, executive leadership in finance in tech and so it's something that you uh I, i'm i think needs to be talked about and not everyone agrees with me but um i think we need more pattern recognition for for women in leadership roles well rebecca i rebecca, I, I, I really do i really agree do with, with what you're really saying what you're saying oh i caught an echo somehow in our call we'll see if we can fix that um no, I agree with what, what you're saying, because even at my stage in, in business, having, you know, been a, a, a CEO and managing director and executive director, um, I had an experience recently where I walked into a major investors conference and I have a little, a little flirty red in my hair um, and I did not put on the proverbial black or navy suit that day. And I walked in a hotel ballroom with... Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe four or 500 people. And I'm like, wow, wow. There, there is not a lot of flavor or diversity in this, in this room. And so those things do stick out. And that's, that's not necessarily a, um, a negative against the people in that room who worked very hard to be where they are in life. But I think it's a comment about bravery. And what you've just said is, I think there's a fine mix for young entrepreneurs to determine what is 
authentic to them and their business that they're building, yet still being able to meet that executive language that is part, part more mainstream. And it's a tough thing to learn. So I appreciate you kind of, you know, bringing that to the forefront of our conversation today. Um, yeah. But now I'm sure you, you walk into those rooms with a lot different posture and, and stance and like, yeah, we, we are on, on track to take over. Um, yeah. So on that point, if we came back and talked to you in five years, what is life looking like for LearnLux? What is life looking like for you as a professional? Um, what's the vision? Yeah, uh, you know, I think that financial wellness will become ubiquitous in the workplace and companies will have to offer this in the next couple of years. And so I just imagine expanding to, you know, every type of employer of every size and really winning in, in this employer financial wellness space. Um, and that's kind of how we how we push forward at the company and all of our strategies around that. Um, you know, I think I'm I try really hard, like I mentioned earlier, to learn from everyone. And I think as a as a CEO, you have to grow as fast as your company. And so I would love to continue to grow over the next couple of years and really be able to um be the person who who is part of creating more pattern recognition that that you can look like this and still run a massive company and be a leader in financial services and it's to your advantage because you're totally changing up the industry from what people thought it it had to be before um that's what i think about well thank you so much for sharing your story your message if listeners want to get a hold of you what is the best place and way to do it um well our website, learnlux.com, and you can send a message through there. Um, you can follow me. My Twitter handle is at best of Becca. And I got that early, proud of it. <laughs> um, and, you know, if you just reach out and through the company and say you're trying to talk to me, someone will forward it to me. So that's the best way. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And to our listeners, we appreciate that you took time to join us and listen to this episode. I am always looking for great, disruptive, innovative um, business founders and leadership experts. So send me a note at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future. And thank you again, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Have a good day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.